Um, but turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 24. We're, we're continuing our series uh, through Paul's letter to uh, this, this church or this, this group of churches in Galatia. You'll, you'll remember last week uh, he, he sort of uh, reintroduced himself to this congregation. It's a, it's a church that he helped to plant uh, and to start. Uh, and then, of course, he, he get, got right into uh, the, the issue uh, he, he said he was, he was astonished that they uh, were so quickly uh, deserting uh, Christ, the, the gospel, the message that Paul proclaimed. Uh, and they had turned to a, a false gospel, a gospel proclaimed by uh, what we'll call false uh, apostles. Uh, and so here's, here's where, where, where Paul now begins to, uh, to, to justify his, his authority, to, to speak to, uh, to, to why what, what he proclaimed truly was God's word. Uh, and so this is, this is God's word uh, from, from Galatians chapter 1. I'll, I'll read from verse 11 to the end of this chapter, verse 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach the gospel, preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Amen, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. How do you spot authority? Sometimes it's, it's obvious, isn't it? The, uh, the other day I was, I was walking down the street and I, I saw our local neighborhood enforcement uh, officer. And I, I knew him not, not because I'd ever met him before or because I'd ever seen him before, but because he was wearing a uniform. And on this uniform was a, was a patch on the chest that said law enforcement officer. It's pretty obvious, isn't it, uh, that this guy had, had some uh, authority it says so right there on his clothing. It's, a, it's, a pretty, it's, it's pretty tough to miss, that one. But it's not always so obvious, is it? For example, would you, would you be able to, to spot a, a crown court judge walking down the street? Or would you be able to, to pick out an average backbench MP from a crowd? You know, these two have almost more control, more authority over the, the law than, than the officer with his, with his authority written on the patch, don't they? Yet you wouldn't know them if you just saw them on the street. In fact, uh, just about anyone could claim their authority if they were unscrupulous. 
For example, let's say uh, you, you uh, ran into me on the street and you didn't realize that, that I'm Rob, the, the pastor, and you just happened to see me on the street and, and uh, let's say I was, I was dressed in an expensive suit uh, and you were carrying a hot drink, a tea or a coffee. And let's say that I, I walked up to you and I said to you, um, excuse me, uh, I'm the, the member of parliament for uh, Little Tooting or some such place. And, and parliament has just passed a new law that out of concern for, for public safety and for your welfare, it's no longer legal to carry a hot drink because you might spill it uh, on your hand and, and burn yourself. And, and we're really concerned about this. We need to do all that, that we can to, to do our bit to protect the NHS from, from being overwhelmed by an influx of, of minor burn victims. I know that's, that sounds funny and it sounds crazy, but would, it, would, would that possibly get you to, to at least question you know, what you're doing? Would it possibly even perhaps get you to change your behavior? Perhaps it would at least get you to, to get on Google and, and Google crazy English laws, right? But I would be a false MP. I'd be lying about my status and my authority. And that's, that's essentially what's happening here in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul's authority uh, as an apostle, that is a, a person who, who speaks for Christ, is being challenged by these false apostles who've come into this church. But, but Paul has evidence of his authority. And he shares here this, this powerful story, this, this testimony of God's work in his life as, as evidence of his claim to authority. And there, there's three things that I want us to see from our passage this morning. First of all, uh, the source of Paul's authority. Secondly, the, the purpose of Paul's authority. And then lastly, the, the hope that Paul offers us. So first of all, the, the source of Paul's authority. Look back at verses 11 and 12. Paul begins here with, with his, his thesis statement, the, the foundation of what he's going to, to talk about. He says, for, for I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now those are bold claims, aren't they? He doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He hits us right out the gate, right over the head with it. Paul says that, that when he was with the Galatians, he spoke directly for Jesus and no one else. He claims direct authority from the resurrected Christ. And, and because of that, he's saying that the, the message, the, the gospel, the good news that he proclaimed was true. And that anything else, anything else that, that uh, is leading the church astray, or, or to, to put it more, more bluntly as Paul probably would, anything else is a lie. A lie from the very pit of hell, no less. Now, evidence of, as evidence of this, his, of his right to speak for Christ, Paul, Paul shares his, his testimony, his story. He says to the Galatians, verse 13, that, that they already know his story. They know his reputation. They, they know what, what he was like. They, they know his background. Paul was a, a first-rate uh, fill-in-the-blank with the most colorful expression uh, you can think of. It'll be different for all of us, but that's okay. You'll start to get the idea. But Paul was, was a terrible guy. He was a religious fanatic. We're talking like, like Taliban-level stuff, aren't we? Like he was literally stoning people to death for following Jesus. Paul says he, he hated 
the church of Christ and its followers. He wanted to eradicate it. And the truth is the, the church was scared to death of him. They were scared to death of him because, because they knew he was seeking out, uh, to, seeking to systematically seek out Christians for imprisonment and even death. And the, the book of Acts actually recounts this in, in even more detail. It's, it's worth going and looking at it. Uh, at the time, uh, Paul was known as, as Saul. And in, in chapter 7 of Acts, we see the, the very first uh, person killed for following Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples named, named Stephen. And, and Stephen was, was taken out by an angry mob, and, and he was stoned to death. And when the, the guys who were, were stoning him, uh, it says that, that, that as they were stoning him, they, they laid their cloaks at the, the feet of, of Saul or, or Paul, who was standing there on, on behalf of the Jewish authorities, approving of this killing. And then in, in chapter 8 of Acts, verse 3, it says that, that Saul then uh, started ravaging the church and entering house after house. He would drag out men and women often certainly in front of their own children, and he committed them to prison. Saul had incredible earthly authority. He knew the law of Judaism, and he had the power to enforce it, and he did so without mercy. So what happened? Well, to put it simply, Jesus turned up. Did you notice that? What happened? Jesus turned up. And that changed Paul's, Paul's entire uh, outlook on life, his entire understanding of, of the world, and, and, and his entire understanding of truth, of faith. Look at verse 15. But, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was re- pleased to reveal his son to me. That's, that's Christ Jesus. It says God revealed Jesus to Paul and it changed everything. Again, Acts gives us uh, more detail on this. In, in Acts chapter 9, Paul was, was off on a business trip to a place called Damascus. And of course, his business was to capture more followers of Jesus there. When out of nowhere, along the road to Damascus, Jesus confronts him. And, and Paul is, is struck blind. And this wasn't, this wasn't some hallucination because uh, there, there were men with him, and, and those men too heard the voice of, of Christ. And Paul is sent by Christ into the city to, to one of his followers named Ananias, who confirmed Paul's call. And at that point, Paul's sight is restored. But notice uh, what Paul says next here, and this is, this is really important in our passage. He didn't go then to Jerusalem where the other, the other apostles were. He actually went away to Arabia. And it was three years before he, he met Peter. Here he's called uh, Cephas. That's, that's another name for the apostle Peter. Uh, and it was three years before he met him and, and James, the brother of Jesus. And, and the reason why Paul uh, underlines this, and the reason why I'm underlying it, is because, uh, because Paul wants to, to prove that he didn't receive uh, his message from anyone else. He didn't listen to uh, the words of the other apostles and then start repeating their words. Rather, he received this message directly from Christ himself. And this is a, a very clear and dramatic claim to authority. It's one that, that the, the local church at the time could authenticate. There were witnesses to Paul's story and to his conversion. 
But why was it so important for Paul to establish his authority? We, we see the answer to that in our, our second point this morning, uh, the purpose of Paul's authority. And there are, are, are two things on, going on here that we need to see in order to, to understand why it's so important for us to trust Paul, and why it was so critical for the Galatian church to trust him. There was a group of false apostles who, who came along after, after Paul had, had established the church. So Paul establishes this church, and then uh, he moves on. Uh, he, he spent a good bit of time there, certainly, but then he moves on to establish other churches in other areas. And these false apostles uh, step in, and they, they do two things. First of all, they claimed that Paul had no unique authority. They said that he was just teaching what the, the other apostles had taught him. And these false apostles were, were seeking to undermine his, his authority. Why? Because they wanted to claim that same authority. They wanted to claim that they had just as much right to speak as Paul. They wanted to say that, that they knew the other apostles too, and thus they were, were te- their teaching was on the same level as Paul's. Paul was just a, a derivative apostle. So Paul here says, actually, these guys, these guys aren't, aren't actually teaching the same thing that I'm teaching because I didn't get this from, from anyone. I got the gospel straight from Jesus himself. And this still matters today because if we can't trust Paul, then we can't trust the word of God before us this morning. So, so what do we do? Well, we have to do the same thing that, that the, the first century church did and look at the evidence, and listen to the message. So we have the, the testimony of Paul laid out here before us, but, but we also have what, what the eyewitnesses said. Again, back in, in Acts chapter 9, Paul, Paul hears the voice of Christ. He's struck blind, and he goes to, to uh, this man, Ananias. And Ananias says to Paul in, in Acts 9, verse 17, this is, this is important, brother, brother Saul, again, that's Paul, the Lord Jesus who who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, his sight was restored, and we're told he immediately began proclaiming Christ in the synagogue. Now notice what wasn't said by Ananias. Ananias didn't say, I've I've come to disciple you and to explain the gospel to you. There was no need for that. There's no need for it because, because Paul had already received it straight from Christ himself. And now here's the thing. Everyone who, who met Paul recognized this fact. Look at verses 23 and 24. He, he's talking about the churches in Judea. He said they, when, uh, they, that, that, uh, that we're, we're hearing uh, that, that Paul had been converted. And they were saying, he who, once, who, who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This wasn't some secret. Paul wasn't just coming out of of nowhere and proclaiming the gospel. This was was something that that he gained a reputation for in the church. This was something that could be be verified. And even the Galatian church recognized Paul's authority and the truth of Paul's message when he was with them, which is why Paul uh, said last week that he was astonished that, that this church had abandoned the gospel message so quickly, which is actually the second problem 
that we see with these false teachers. They, they didn't only undermine Paul's authority, but they undermined his message. They proclaimed a, a false gospel. And in, in the, weeks, uh, the weeks ahead, we'll look at exactly what this false gospel was. But for now, let's understand uh, the problem that this creates from an authority standpoint. Now, way back in, in the Old Testament, in the, the book of Deuteronomy, God established with his people the, the standard for how they uh, would know if a, if a prophet was, was sent from God or not, if, if this person was sent to speak on his behalf. And, and the gold standard that he established, the, the, the greatest warning was that uh, you would know their authority based on their message. God told his people that if a prophet came and said, let's go follow some other gods, then he was a false prophet and should be stoned. Now, Paul's stoning days are, are over. He's, he's been there. He's done that. But he, he underlined last week the seriousness of what these false prophets were, or, or false apostles were doing. They were calling God's people to follow other gods, essentially. They were calling them to a completely different message, the gospel they proclaimed then was no, was no gospel. There was no good news in it at all. And they were to be accursed for, for proclaiming it as though it were truth. And I realize I've, I've spent a lot of time laying all of this out. And, and you're probably wondering, what's, what's the point of all this? So, so let, me, let me suggest just one thing under this point. Paul's entire message here should actually serve as, as a warning to us and it should humble us because it reminds us of, of the frailty of our faith. Let's reflect on that for a moment. The Galatian church had, had met Paul uh, in the flesh and had probably not, had, had not just for, for a, a few moments with him. They, they had uh, probably a, a couple of years, at least months, where, where he was with them for a significant amount of time teaching them the, the gospel the message of Christ Jesus. He had significant times with this congregation that he helped to start. And that's a big deal. Yet when Paul walks away, when Paul leaves, for very good reasons, to, to go start other churches, they almost immediately, this congregation starts, starts following these false prophets. Now why is that? Well, the only real answer is because we're frail and we are weak and we're easily led astray by the things of this world. Martin Luther says of this passage the, that, that the matter of salvation is brittle. It's brittle not in itself, for it's most sure and certain, but, but in, in respect to us, within us. He goes on to talk about how, how uh, he struggled himself, Martin Luther, with, with hours of darkness, and how it was easy and in those moments, to lose the beams of the gospel. This wasn't because the, the message of the gospel was weak, but because the human heart, our hearts, your heart and mine, we're, we're weak and we're broken. And left to ourselves, we will desperately jump from one gospel to the next. This is still a problem for us today, both, both in, in, in the church and out of the church. We, we still hear people within, within the church uh, coming and claiming some, some new message that, that you, can, you, can become, uh, you can become wealthy or rich by following Jesus. That if you, if you keep these rules, then, 
then your life is going to be uh, all rainbows and unicorns. Everything's just going to be great. God's going to really bless you. If you send money to my ministry, then, then the Lord is going gonna, is gonna, gonna to bless you for, for doing that. Sometimes these people will even call themselves apostles. And all we need to, to do here with these folks is actually apply the word of God to them and say with Paul, let them be accursed because there's no hope in that message. But this is a broader problem too in our world, isn't it? And this, this is probably where, where many of us feel more keenly the bitterness of our, or, or the, the brittleness of our salvation. And here's, here's what I mean. Uh, what were the last three things you committed yourself to as being sort of your thing? And how long did those last? When I was, um, when I was a, a part of the, the local boating club, we would always have um, a handful of people who were, who were sort of the lifers, the people who were, who were super committed to this thing. But most years you'd, you'd have new people turn up who, who would sign up for, for absolutely every session. And they would, they would attend every, every course to get their, their next certification. And they would, they would go to the pub and, and all they could talk about was boating, as if this was the only thing in their life that mattered. And they'd talk about the latest equipment or the next whitewater trip. And they might stick around for a year or even two, but then you'd, you'd never see them again. Uh, maybe they, they decided that, that yoga was their next thing or, or axe throwing or, or wine tasting or, or whatever kind of next thing tickled their fancy. My point is this, that we're people who are quick to define ourselves and then redefine ourselves if we're not grounded in something. And Paul's saying here, why, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that when... When, why, why would you want to turn to some, some other gospel? Some other proclamation of good news when, when I gave you the greatest message you could ever want? When I pointed you to the only person who can save you through faith? I told you the one thing that would fill your heart with joy and give you real hope and salvation. So why are you now abandoning that for, for something else? It's a compelling question, isn't it? And the answer is because our hearts are never satisfied, and they're always demanding something more, especially when they aren't rooted in Christ. And that's the real heart of the matter for these churches in Galatia. They were wandering from one gospel to the next gospel because they weren't rooted in the truth of the real good news. They were not rooted to Christ, that Christ Jesus had paid all for their sin. But the beauty of Paul's story and, and his recounting it here is that he's not only rebuking this church, but he's, he's calling them back. And he, through his story, he's beginning to lovingly call them back to that true gospel. Did you notice that? That's, that's what we see in our third and final point this morning, uh, the hope that Paul offers. Here's the transformation that, that took place in Paul's life. He went from being the persecutor, the guy that was, was setting out to, to, to beat and kill and imprison people who followed Jesus. He went from that to being the guy getting beaten, imprisoned, and eventually killed for following Jesus. He would spend his life wandering from, from city to city preaching about Jesus and, and starting churches there. 
And when those churches, like the one in Galatia, uh, went astray, he would go back or he would write them letters. See, unlike, uh, unlike people like you and I who, who get bored with our kayaking clubs or, or who are always wanting to, to sort of change careers every couple of years, Paul is suffering, and yet he sticks it out. But why, would, why would someone do that? Well, the answer is that because Paul was, was grounded in something greater than anything else in all our world, and he was calling the Galatians, and he calls you and I to that same something, to that same person in Jesus. Look again at verses 15 and 16. What does Paul say happened? He says, he says first of all, he was set apart before he was even born. He was called by grace, and then Jesus actually showed up. I don't think anyone could, could put it more succinctly or beautifully than Paul does here in, in this fraction of a sentence. He does write quite long sentences, though. Uh, but I think here Paul, Paul summarizes the, the heart of, God's, uh, of God for his people, doesn't he? In these three things. That he's a God who, who set us apart before we were even born. That's the greatness of our God. He, he isn't constrained by creation. He isn't surprised when a baby is born and goes, uh, hmm, what do I do with this one? The God of Scripture is actually a powerful God who, who holds your life in his hands and he sets his people apart before they are even aware of it. See, the truth is that the, the only way a, a reprobate like Paul could be saved was if God set his affections on him. That's the only way a reprobate like Rob Ilderton could be saved. Or, or any of you other reprobates with us this morning. God bless you. The only way you're going to get saved, the only way that, that, that you have any hope at all, is if God has set his affections on you and me. Praise God that he has. And I know this also creates uh, other questions probably in your mind. We'll, we'll have to save those for tea and coffee time. But let's just say this. He is, he's a God who set us apart before we were even born. Secondly, Paul says he's, he's a God who calls us by his grace. That's to say he, he calls us because, because he can call us. He can call us because his son has paid for our sins. That's, that's what grace is, remember. Grace is that, that, that merit that we don't deserve, but we receive it anyway, freely. It's when you, it's when you, grace is when you take your kid out for an ice cream. And with the, the first lick, the scoop falls on the floor, and they're bawling their eyes out. And the person behind the counter steps in and says, don't worry, here's, here's a clean one, and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to pay for it. Well, the ice cream didn't suddenly become free. The, the person behind the counter didn't file an, an insurance claim for a, a two-quid scoop of ice cream that went through a horrific accident. No, the, the owner said, I can make this right. I have the means to make it right. And I'm willing to absorb the cost of making it right. And that's what grace is. Grace is God saying of you, I can make you right. I have the means to make you right. And I have the riches and the authority to make you right. And he calls you freely to trust in him. Thirdly, Paul says he's a God who sends Jesus, his son, for us. And this was, 
was a dramatic moment in Paul's life. And it's, it's one of the most dramatic, probably the most dramatic conversion in all of Scripture, this, this persecutor of the church becoming its, its, its great apostle. Most of us think, you know, if Jesus would, would come to me like, that, like he did Paul, if he would just speak to me like he did Paul, then, then I would believe. And here's the crazy thing. He has done that. That's the whole, that's the whole point of what Paul is talking about here. That Jesus has spoken to you and he has revealed himself to you through the testimony of Paul. Notice verse 16. Why, why did Jesus come to Paul? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's you and I. We're, we're the Gentiles. And Jesus has been proclaimed to us through Paul, through, through his word. That's the whole point of this passage. If Paul speaks for Christ, then Christ has spoken to us once and for all in the scriptures we have before us this morning. What Paul's asking the Galatians here is what more, what more do you want? What more do you want? I've done my duty. I've proclaimed the gospel of Jesus that I myself witnessed and received from him. So what more, what more do you want? It's a serious thing to reject that gospel. It's a serious thing to, to, to follow after some other hope of salvation. When Christ Jesus, through his apostle, has spoken once and for all to us. Friends, what more do you want? Paul's story is a, a witness to us of a God who has spoken into our world ultimately and finally through his son, Jesus Christ. He's a God who has the means and the power to save us through the, his death and resurrection. What more do you want? What else could possibly satisfy when we have Christ Jesus? Let us pray.